to do something a little unusual tonight. And I'm going to call upon some of you to share some scriptures with me. And the good news is, is I'll give you the references. So if you'll remember them and read them, I ask you to read them as the oracles of God, not mumbling or whispering, but as if they're the words that God spoke from heaven. Okay? You got your Bibles in hand? Isaiah 62, 1. Luke 12, 50. John 9, 4. Can you get Ecclesiastes 9, 10? John 2, 17. How about John 4, 34? Okay, let's start with these. You go first. Read loud so everybody in the back can hear. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, and her salvation like a torch that is burning. Can you do Isaiah 9, 7? Okay, you go ahead. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, and two against three. That's it. All right, Jenny, are you next? We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is, as it is day, night is coming, but no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Amen. Can you read yours? Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your mind. For if there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Can you read yours? That his disciples remember that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. What, what had he just done? Anybody remember? He had just chased the money collectors out of the temple. Amen. Brother John? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Amen. And now you. Of the increase of his government, peace will be no end. Until the throne of David and over his kingdom, order and establishment, judgment and justice, and that kind of authority forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. What's the common theme in all these scriptures that we're just reading? Zeal. What does that mean? I think that the term is, is familiar to all of us, right? And it's probably as often used negatively as it is positively. When someone says something like this, do they mean it as a positive compliment or they, do they mean it as something else? When they say, well, you know, he's real zealous, do they mean that as a compliment? When they say, uh, well, she's got a lot of zeal, is that a compliment? That's what you want to be, someone who someone says that about, right? Well, that's what people said about Jesus. They remembered that it was said, zeal for his house has eaten me up, devoured me. I'm completely 
owned by this zeal. Have you ever heard someone say, it's eating me alive? That's how Jesus felt when he went into the temple. And the prophecy in Isaiah tells us that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end, but that only the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. So the kingdom of God will only advance, will only increase, will only endure where it's eating somebody up. You might hold that in derision. You might think that's contemptible, immature, childish. But it's the only thing that is going to advance the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I came to throw a fire upon the earth. And how I wish that it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it be accomplished. All these passages that speak of zeal, they combine it with a pressure to complete a work. Did you notice that? Something has to be done. The obligation to, to complete the work in itself is not the zeal of God and it's not going to happen. Just knowing that this has got to happen, that doesn't make it happen, does it? But when somebody feels that it's got to happen now, when they feel eaten up with it, that's when it happens. I've given the example before, but I'll give it again, and I think we can all identify. Have you ever had situations in your life where something needed to be dealt with, something needed to be done, and you let it go, 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 and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, until finally you just said, this is eating me alive, I've got to deal with this. That's the way of entropy. That's the way of nature. The second law of, th of thermodynamics. We've quoted it almost as much as some scriptures. What is the second law of thermodynamics? That all things are moving toward randomness and decay. That of their own, they disintegrate. Things fall apart. The center does not hold. Amen? Fragmentation, disintegration... This is the way of the world in which we live. There has got to be a more powerful force of conservation opposing those native forces of entropy if order can be preserved in the world. It's human nature to avoid things, to hide from things. It's human nature to pretend that a problem is not a problem. When Adam and Eve first blew it and disappointed God and disappointed themselves and brought a curse into the entire world, what was their first inclination? They went and hid. They couldn't confront it. They couldn't face it. They couldn't deal with it. That's human nature. To, to avoid it. To pretend that it's not there. And, and it's that kind of behavior that allows the power of the enemy to gain more and more territory over our souls and our lives. Push it out of sight. Push it out of mind. Avoid it. Forget about it. But the only thing that is going to advance the kingdom of God is the zeal that says this has to happen and this has to happen right now. There is no time to waste. This must be accomplished. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts 
will accomplish it. If we cannot learn what that zeal is and how to make that zeal our zeal, we will not accomplish anything for God. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. So we can't accomplish anything without that. Until zeal for His house eats us up. We cannot accomplish anything. That goes for personal things. I know in my life, and I, I see it in other people's lives, the worst thing you can do is try to manage, try to ease the pain of a problem, try to get some pharmaceuticals to deal with the problem, turn to a physician. The problem has got to be eaten up. Amen? It's got to be consumed. If there's a problem in your life, if there's a sin, our, our task is to die to it. I remember one time in Teen Challenge teaching on, on repentance, and I told him, if you're supposed to put to death the deeds of the body in obedience to Paul, have you ever seen someone able to kill without hatred and anger behind that death? Have you ever seen it? It doesn't exist. Death is the outworking of anger and hatred. And without anger and hatred, you don't have death. And in biblical terms and in spiritual terms, anger and hatred is zeal toward what is violating the purpose, the promise, the peace of God in your life. When you join the military and they're going to teach you to be on the front lines and the infantry advance and the Marines. They're going to teach you how to hate and despise your enemy. They're going to belittle your enemy. They're going to put names on him. They're going to show you how vile and evil. They may even lie about it. But they're going to rile you up. They're going to get you into a foaming hatred toward that enemy. So that when you see him, there's death right there. They're going to do this through manipulation, and, like I said, even dishonesty. But the anger that would put to death the deeds of the body is not like that. But it is anger nonetheless. When we see, when we look, when we're willing to hold our eyelids of denial open and peer steady and long, into the exceeding sinfulness of sin, as Paul put it, and we see what this has done to our lives and how this is ruining us, how it's destroying us, how it is eating up the purpose of God. Something comes alive in us that says, this has got to stop. Acknowledgement. God, I confess it. I see it. I don't pretend about it. I don't avoid it. I don't hide from it. I acknowledge it. Recognize it. I own it. I confess it. And that is what gives me the zeal to forsake it. And I'm forsaking it by putting it 
to death. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish it. Nothing else will accomplish it. Jesus, when he went into the temple, look what he was doing. Think about it. He's a man at the age of 33. About, not, he's within five years of my age. He's 33 years old at the oldest. And he goes into the most sacred place of his religion. A place that has been hallowed for centuries. Amen? And this place is overseen and watched over by the chief priest the entire board of Sanhedrin, all of these learned and older men, people who have lived their entire lives devoted to nothing but the study and understanding of the scriptures and prophecies. Amen. This is the most beautiful, the most holy, the most exceptional place on earth. There's no place like it. It's a place where God said his name would be. It's a place where Solomon asked God that if any man turns toward this temple and prays, he would hear from heaven. It's a place of mercy. It's a place of forgiveness. It's a place that every true believer holds in high regard more than any other place on earth. And Jesus goes into this place with a whip in his hand and he's red in the face with anger. And he's knocking over tables. He's letting cows and sheep go. And he's whipping that whip through the air and dust, cracking and snapping and telling them to get out because you've made my father's house a den of thieves. What on earth would make you do that in a comparable setting? If by any fluke of a miracle you heard God tell you to do something like that, would you do it? What would keep you from doing it? Fear of everything. Fear of missing it. Dishonoring God in that way. Fear of what they might do to you. Fear of how it might hurt people you care about. But fear would paralyze you right where you are. That's the difference between Jesus and us. There's only one thing that's going to take care of that fear. And that is the zeal of of the Lord that will eat it up. In the fourth chapter of Luke, he stood in his own synagogue and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. God's Spirit was on him because he was anointed. 
I want to tell you that I don't think there's any difference between anointing and zeal. Two terms for the same thing. When someone is anointed by God, what you're saying is the zeal of Yahweh of hosts has eaten them up. How many of us have said, God, I wish I could rise above this stasis, this slump that I'm in. I wish, God, that I could be used of you. I wish I could fan to flame the gift that lies within me. I wish I could become a vessel of your glory. But in each and every opportunity, we talk ourselves right out of it and walk ourselves right out of it because of all the fears that are the most prominent emotions in our minds. Amen? And I'm telling you, you've always heard people say, what you need is the anointing. So you go, okay, God, anointing. What does that mean? God, would you anoint me? And I'm telling you what anointing is. The anointing of God is more akin to anger than to any other emotion you've ever felt. You think about it. It is the zeal, the fervor, the indignation. Why indignation? Because all of nature and all the powers in the spirit world, everything about this world, every person, every institution, every demon in hell is conspiring to suffocate and silence the power and the voice of God. So if it would ever accomplish anything, it is going to be in combat mode against the powers of darkness that would silence it. That's why zeal and zeal alone can accomplish the purpose of God. Think about the terminology in the Bible. Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Paul tells Timothy, no soldier in active service entangles himself in civilian affairs. Or as the New American Standard says, in the affairs of everyday life. Because his desire is to please the commander who enlisted him. To please the God who trusted him with his Holy Spirit. Who trusted that it would become the most powerful force in his life when he gave it to him. Amen. Who trusted him with his name when he wrote it on his forehead at baptism. And said, glorify the name of the Lord. Amen. He wants to please that commander. In 2 Corinthians 10 it says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful. All this terminology is combat talk. Amen. Because God knows that everything that we fight, every, every little inch of His kingdom that might advance is going to come at great cost. It's going to come at a war. Amen. Through a war. Amen. Through blood and battle. Amen. It's not going to just happen 
We're not just going to ease into our promise. Amen. We're not just going to slouch toward our purpose in God. Amen. It is going to come because the zeal of Yahweh of hosts has gotten inside of somebody. And like Jeremiah, they say, the fire of God is in my bones. And though I try, I cannot shut it up any longer. Amen. So if we're talking about things that advance the kingdom, the corporate kingdom of God, or if we're talking about things that silence and kill and put to death all those hindrances, those weights that beset and easily entangle us, I'm telling you the only thing that's going to do it is the anger, the indignation, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts. And if you don't know what that feels like, open my eyes, Lord. Amen. Let me see what this cancer is doing to your purpose. Let me confess, Lord. Let me own the responsibility for this damage. And then let me forsake my loyalty to it by turning on it with all the indignation that God can put in my heart. Amen. Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Whatever you thought was just a battle of flesh and blood, it's not flesh and blood. There's not a battle on this earth that's just flesh and blood. It's all spiritual. There's not two categories, spiritual and carnal. It's all just spiritual. And it masquerades as carnal over here and as something else over there, but it's all spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's no fleshly battles that you face. It's all cunning, powerful, deceiving spirits behind all of those fleshly, natural, ordinary seeming battles. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There are no natural battles, just spiritual. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight. That's what we're in, isn't it? Fight the good fight of faith. These are all different passages. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses for. Fight it so that you can accomplish. So that the kingdom of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So I'm talking on a personal level. I'm talking on a, on a, on a corporate level. When you come into a meeting, you say, God, anoint me. Don't say that unless you know what it means. Because you won't receive it. You won't welcome that anointing when it comes if you don't know what to expect. When you say, God, anoint me, what you're saying is, God, eat me up. In the same way you ate up Jesus and made him turn tables over and break apart cages and send a whole flock through the, the temple. That's what you're saying. God, burn inside of me. When you sing, when you prophesy, when you testify, when you share, when you pray, and it has that fire, that militant fire behind it, amen, you're anointed. God is with you. But when there's that cowardice, and that, there's that 
you have something from God, but it's being tentatively and carefully put out there. You know, that's all just garbage. You're not eaten up yet. Just hold your gift back and wait until God eats you alive inside. Wait until you see the consequences related and connected to that gift that God gave you. And when you see the life and death realities that could hang on it, then share it as something that your life depends on, as something that other people's lives may depend on. But don't share it wimpy. Share it with the zeal of God that has eaten up all the fears, all the self-doubt, amen, all the inferiority complexes, all of it, until nothing is left but that hot blue flame of God's purpose and power burning through your life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You don't seek intensity. You don't seek any of that. You seek to see it God's way. Amen? And you seek to release yourself to that power of God. And He'll speak through this one in this way and that one in that way. But behind it all is this burning, militant, forcefully advancing spirit, not timidity. What does that scripture say in Timothy? He has not given us what? A spirit of timidity. But what? But of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen. If you want to sing, but you're still feeling the spirit of timidity more than any other spirit, don't sing yet. If you want to share, but the spirit of timidity is the strongest feeling in your heart, don't share yet. If you want to pray, but the spirit of timidity is the, is the strongest emotion behind your prayer, don't pray yet, except in repentance. Because God is worthy of our unfaltering, unqualified obedience. He is worthy of more than our half-hearted, scared, self-protective efforts. He's worthy of it all. Amen. Get to that place of freedom. God, you can tell me to do anything. You can tell me to knock over tables, and I'd knock over tables. You can tell me to speak, and I'd speak. You can tell me to sing, and I'd sing. Because I'm here to please my commander. Amen. I'm not here to try it out and see if that was good enough, if that worked for me, or if everybody accepted me through that. Amen. I am here to please my commander. And the only thing that's going to please my commander is if I gain some more territory tonight. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If the kingdom of God advances. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.